0: Our scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 32. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan and now have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, "'Let me go, for the dawn is breaking.' But he said, "'I will not let you go until you bless me.' So he said to him, "'What is your name?' And he said, "'Jacob.' He said, "'Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel.' For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please, tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Amen.
1: Amen and welcome, and we're concluding our mini-series in the book of Genesis uh, called Liars, Cheaters, Thieves, and Villains, because it's been about the Bible character of Jacob and his family, who have been, as we've seen, liars, cheaters, Thieves and villains, and perhaps no one has lied more, cheated more, thieved more, and villained more than Jacob. Jacob was we've seen has lied to his father on his deathbed. He's cheated his brother out of the family birthright. He's thieved away the blessing from Esau. Esau also, and he's been a villain. To his family, he's hated his own wife, Leah, and as we'll see next week, he's been a terrible father and ruined the lives of all his children. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we saw how Jacob, because of all of this, how he had to flee out into a desert to escape his brother and his past. And you may remember that the narrative made a point of telling us that the son had said that the sun was going down on Jacob's life the sun had gone down is telling us on his future and Jacob is being plunged into darkness but here in the reading did you catch it oh it's so beautiful it says at the very end of the story it says that the sun rose upon him What's this telling us? Oh, it's telling us, it's showing us that Jacob has been changed. It's telling us he is no longer the same person. It's telling us that light has broken into Jacob's darkness, that he's a liar, cheater, thief, and villain no more. How did this happen? Well, quite simply, it's because Jacob met God. Oh, but this is so important to see. Jacob doesn't just meet God here. Jacob wrestles God here. And the wrestling changed him for forever. So let's ask for ourselves today from this passage, what does it really mean to meet God in a way that changes us for forever? I think we're going to see it means to wrestle God here in four ways. Number one, to wrestle God personally. Number two, to wrestle God presently. I'll tell you what that means. To wrestle God painfully. And finally, to wrestle God paradoxically. We'll unpack these as we go. Let's begin here in number one. And look at what it means to wrestle God personally. All right, where are we here in the story in Genesis? Well, Jacob, as we saw uh, last week, he's gone to his Uncle Laban's house. Now, here in this passage, he's had to flee his... uh, His uncle's house. He's gone at God's directive, actually, to make his way back home, and he's trying to get back uh, to where he once belonged, as the Beatles sang. And he's he's gone to the land he grew up in. He's taking all his family, all his flocks with him. But as he's on his way, he's out in the desert. He's completely vulnerable. And his brother Esau gets word that uh, he's on his way out in the desert, and so Esau. Is coming to meet him, it says, with 400 men. Now, the last time Jacob saw Esau, Esau had sworn revenge. And so, for all Jacob knows, now here it comes. For all he knows, his past is catching up with him. For all he knows, as the saying goes, the chickens of his deceit are coming home to roost. This is the moment he's feared, he's tried at all costs to to avoid. Jacob has run full speed away from his past. But now his past is coming back at him at full speed. So what does he do? Well, uh, he, he acts like Jacob actually in a typically Jacobian way instead of meeting his problems head on he sort of takes the coward's way out the sneaky way out he sends everything he's got every possession he owns every piece of cattle he's got all his servants out in front of him as a bribe for his brother he's trying to turn the tide of his brother's heart uh, assuage his brother's anger but for all he knows now they've all been killed They could have all been wiped out. Esau could have wiped them out with his superior forces. And now it's the morning before doomsday. Jacob knows the moment's coming, whether he wants it to or not. And so he goes out into the desert to be by himself. And the narrator tells us this. It says, then Jacob was left alone. Jacob's all alone. And God has Jacob exactly where he wants him. Now I want you to know, let's just pause here uh, and unpack this. It, it, what this is telling us in a way is if, if you really want to know God, if you really want to meet God in a way that changes you, or, or if you're here and you're new and you're visiting today, and then welcome, by the way, again. Uh, if you want to know just what this whole church thing, this whole God thing, the whole Jesus thing is all about, this is showing us you've got to meet God by yourself alone, personally, personally. This takes away, by the way, nothing from anything that we've ever said, anything we will say about the critical nature of Christian community, about the very real fact that to make it in life, make it in faith, I don't know, just to like obey the Bible as a Christian. This is showing us, we need to be alone, excuse me, but this is showing us we need to meet God personally and we need to be, as we've said, involved in Christian community. But at the end of your life, the Bible says, this is important, you'll stand not with others, you'll stand alone before God. This says it's appointed for a person to die once and face judgment and to pass that judgment by yourself then, you've got to meet God by yourself here. Now, if you know the story of the great fourth century thinker, Christian leader, African thinker and leader, by the way, Augustine, you know this was true of him. Augustine was sort of the, the classic college student. He was a party boy and wannabe philosopher. His mama raised him in the church, but he turned his back on it. His mother, Monica, prayed for him. His conscience, though, began to be pricked by a great preacher named Ambrose, but he, he was lost until one day he was in a garden all alone. And he hears a little child singing down in the street below saying, take and read, take and read. He perceives it's the voice of God speaking to him, the God uh, he had not believed in. He had refused to believe and he's run away from all his life. So he goes back inside. He blows the dust off the family Bible. He takes it up. He plays a little, you know, ancient game of Bible roulette. Opens it to the first passage. He can find, which is Romans 9. He's convicted and cut to the heart. He surrenders his life to Jesus, falls to his knees, he weeps, and the world is changed by one man's encounter alone personally with God. Here's why. Because at the heart, hear me, of biblical faith isn't a book. Oh, even though the Bible is our authority. But the heart of biblical faith is a person, a personal God who deals with us personally and who longs to meet with us personally. Oh, this God isn't just about meeting with your grandparents, meeting with your parents. Some of you know God wants you to meet with him personally, alone. Simple. It's profound. And until you, therefore, wrestle him... That means to come to terms with who he is personally. You'll never understand who the God of the Bible is. And hear me, you'll never understand who you are as well. That's number one. Jacob, like all of us, had to meet and wrestle God personally. Oh, but now we also have to, like Jacob, wrestle God presently presently. What do I mean? I mean to really be changed with God. We've got to wrestle God in our, here's the word, present moment, in our circumstances right now, the thing we're in the middle of right now. So let's ask, well, what's going on presently with Jacob? Or maybe we should ask, who is going on presently with Jacob? Because sometimes, maybe even most of the time, what we're going through is really a who we're going through don't you know? See, Jacob tells you what, really, who is going on with him in his prayer. Right before he sends his flocks and herds and servants out ahead of him, his prayer. Oh, look at it. It's still so Jacob. Look at this verse 11. He prays. He said, God, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. It'll come and attack me and the mothers with the children. So look at this. Actually, let's look at what is not happening here, what he's not praying. Jacob, is not repenting for what he's done he's not asking for forgiveness he isn't praying oh god would you change me would you forgive me for all the ways i've ruined the lives of those around me no he's praying god change him right he's not praying oh god would you deliver my brother from me in all the ways i've harmed him he's praying god would you deliver me from my brother and all the things he might do to me see jacob at first at first he's refusing To wrestle with his present situation, with his present relational crisis. He just tries to push it all away and stuff it back down. And he's never changed until he begins to engage. Now isn't this, just pause here and acknowledge, isn't this what we do, right? I mean, when there's a relational crisis looming or happening, when there's someone we don't like or we don't want to be around, we cry, oh God, deliver me from this person which really means oh god would you change them right would you i don't know god change them or send them away you know scatter your people lord across you you place the members of the body where you see fit it shouldn't be here right place them where they're fitted better elsewhere we start praying Not the serenity prayer. Some of you guys have heard the serenity prayer. We start praying the senility prayer. The senility prayer. This is a little different. This prayer goes like this. It's it's the senility prayer. God, grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway. The good fortune to run into the ones I do and the eyesight to tell the difference. Now, I'm not talking about the 1% of people, hear me, who are fundamentally violent or abusive i'm talking about the 99 percent plus of situations people people problems we have that's what i'm talking about we pray god deliver me like jacob prayed change them right we don't wrestle god presently in the middle of it but we got to if we, mu- if we must do it if we're going to become who we even really want to be odds are here odds are you and that person today you're conjuring a person up in your mind right now maybe the person you're sitting next to right maybe the person you're looking at hey for all i know right like two records that are scratched when you get around that person you instinctively cover your ears because it just sounds awful you can't take another spin on that record player you don't ever want to hear about it again right but what if god told jacob here Jacob, he had said, return, go back. It's time. Why? Because God is requiring, requiring Jacob to wrestle him presently in his present moment, his present relational crisis. And let me show you why you can know this is true and is happening. When Jacob goes out into the desert alone that night, look at what it says happens to him. Verse 24, it says, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Someone meets him, essentially jumps him. Uh, Jacob doesn't even know who it is. It just says he wrestles a man. Oh, but this is telling us so much more. This is showing you a secret that Jacob discovers here. And if you'll see it and discover it, it's got the power to change you and me as well. Here's why. There's a number of, uh, of names of words for the, for the word man in the Old Testament. But this word for man that he wrestles with, the man he wrestled, is the Hebrew word ish. It's the word used interchangeably throughout the Bible for mankind or humankind or for humanity. See, this is, this is an intentional play on words. Now, Jacob, this is showing us, isn't just wrestling an individual. He's wrestling humanity itself. Wrestling with a representative of humanity, of all the people in Jacob's life that Jacob has ruined and hurt. And do you know what humanity demands of Jacob here? Oh, what this person, what humanity demands of Jacob is what it demands of you and demands of me as well. It's the great question in life that Jacob and all of us are asking. Here it is. So he said to him, Jacob was asked, what is Your name. What's your name? See, in Hebrew culture, this wasn't just like, hey, what do your parents call you? No, your name was your identity. Who are you? And here's why this is the critical question because the last person to ask Jacob that was his dying father. And the last time Jacob was asked the question, he lied. He lied. He said he was his brother. I am Esau, your firstborn, he said, to deceive his father and get what he wanted. Oh, can you see? Oh, God's giving Jacob another opportunity here. Who are you really? Who are you down deep? Here is God in the form of humanity coming to Jacob again, demanding Jacob admit who he is. And this is why, oh, you and I so many times, I'll just say this, the same reason I struggle with the same thing I do over and over again in relationships. It's because I, you, we can't admit who we really are down deep and we won't ever move on or break through the wrestling until we do listen i'll just speak for myself again that challenge in my marriage with my friendships with authority figures with my children sometimes those things you always argue about you know that same fight that keeps on happening it'll never go away never begin to dissolve shrink vanish and go until you admit who you are your part to play your fault your flaw your failure the people this is showing us we need the most are sometimes the people we wrestle with the most but i want you to see here what jacob discovers he in the end discovers that the face of god was really behind all the faces of all the people he ever wrestled with. In the next chapter, after Jacob breaks through, he goes and he does it. He meets his brother Esau. He falls to his knees. And do you know what he says to Esau? He says, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Seeing the face of God. He discovered the face of God was behind all the ones he'd wrestled with. And it changed him. He broke through. Listen, friends, God's behind. The faces, all the faces we see in here, the faces we wrestle with, God is going to continue until we see that, until we acknowledge that God's going to continue to sin himself. He's going to keep on coming to you in the form of another brother, another sister in Christ, that person in your community group, right? Uh, For some of you, another church, right? Some of you, another spouse. Uh Uh-oh. You know, here's the point. Leaving won't change anything. Quitting won't change anything. You are still you, are still you. Jacob was still Jacob, was still Jacob, until he said, that's me, It's who I am. You gotta say it, come on, you gotta say it. Maybe sometimes, I'm a deceiver, a liar, a fraud, I'm a sinner in need of God's redeeming grace. Can you see God's face behind the one you're presently wrestling with? Whew. Number three, another way Jacob wrestles, and I'm afraid for a few moments, it's not gonna get much better number throw. yes some of you chuckle but not really all right we must wrestle god painfully painfully this is so hard but it's true i'm afraid again it's not it's not easy i want to be sensitive about it but it's true for all of us myself as well look at what god does to jacob to the one he loves he says, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of his thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. He hurts him. He hurts the one he loves. At first you think, why, why is he doing this to Jacob? Right? I mean, because Jacob, if you read the rest of the story, Jacob had begun to follow God, right? I mean, to, you know, to, to quote the old the, the movie, What About Bob? He was baby-stepping right i mean he's doing the baby steps right i mean he's he's god said go back jacob's going back Uh, jacob's here he's starting to pray it's selfish self-centered you know deliver me change him but whatever more prayer than he was praying 20 years ago he's interacting with god he's growing but then this happens why here's why at first it says jacob wrestles and he wrestles he wrestles for hours until daybreak this is a way of saying jacob won't admit who he is He won't quit being himself. Won't quit, uh, you know, giving. He won't quit wrestling. He won't give in. And to get him there, to allow Jacob to finally admit who he is. Oh, as the dawn is breaking, this man here with the lightest of touches touches Jacob's hip. And Jacob goes limp. Do you know, you know, the hip is, this is the strongest bone and socket in a human body. It would take like a horse dragging you to pull it out. But with the lightest of touches, this man does this. What's going on? Oh, this is showing us in a way God had to break Jacob to really change him. And sometimes, sometimes this is true for us as well. It's like writer Ann Voss can't put it. It Sometimes, she said, he tears the thigh to open the eye. He tears the thigh to open the eye. Sometimes, sometimes he hurts us to heal us. Now, this is hard to hear, but hang with me. Hang on, hang on just for a moment. Let me tell you a story. I'll show you what I mean. Uh, a man by the name of Dr. Ignaz Simmelweis, your favorite 19th century uh, you know, German doctor in mind. Uh, Dr. Simmelweis uh, worked at Vienna's General Hospital in the late 1800s. Uh, and he tried to get to the bottom of this horrendous mortality rate among women in the maternity ward, which he oversaw. in the section where he practiced, the death rate of women giving birth was 1 in 10. One in ten women died giving birth under his watch, and his section had such a a frightening reputation. Some women actually gave birth on the streets rather than go inside. And the collection of symptoms of this death was called childbed fever, and nothing that tried to decrease the mortality rate worked. And. Some even uh, patients begged to be transferred to another section of the maternity ward where the death rate was still not good, one in 50, but it was still better than one in 10. And he gradually became, of course, obsessed with the problem of figuring it out. He tried to standardize everything, standardize the, the woman's birthing positions, the ventilation in the rooms, the laundry, the mother's diet. He looked at everything, but he couldn't find an answer. Nothing made a difference. But then something happened. He took a four-month leave of absence to, to visit and train in another hospital. And upon his return, four months later, he discovers that the death rate had fallen significantly in his absence. Women were now living, not dying. So we looked at it again, and he wondered, what if, okay, what if, what if my research, he asked, on cadavers was making a difference because his hospital was a teaching and research hospital. Most of the doctors spent their time between dealing with cadavers in the basement and mamas giving birth upstairs. They hadn't seen any problem with what they were doing because, of course, they had no understanding of germs and germ theory. All they knew was symptoms. And so in examining them, his own work compared to those doctors in his absence, he concluded that the only measurable difference was himself in his own behavior because he spent far more time doing research on the cadavers. From this, he concluded that particles, the precursor to germ theory, particles from the cadavers and other disease patients were being transmitted to healthy patients through his own hands. So he immediately instituted a policy in the hospital requiring physicians to wash their hands thoroughly before they examined any patient. And do you know what happened? Well, the death rate fell immediately to one in a hundred One in a ten times better. See, it turned out that he and the other doctors were the carriers of the very thing that killed the ones around them. They killed the very ones they told themselves they were helping. And the harder they worked, the more people they saw, the more people they killed. In fact, he once sadly remarked, he said, only God knows the number of patients who went prematurely to their graves because of me. What was the problem? Here it is in a nutshell. The problem was he couldn't see he was the problem, right? The problem was he couldn't see he was the problem. Like Jacob, he couldn't see he was the carrier of the thing that was killing the people around him. And so then in that light, what's what's God doing to Jacob here? Oh, he's getting him to see and admit who he is, that he is the problem. Getting him to see, like our doctor, that his hands needed to get clean. He's wanting Jacob to admit God is. He's got a part to play. And it took some pain in his body and soul, quite literally, from the hand of God to wake him up. He tears the thigh to open the eye. Now, I want to be careful here. Some of you are reacting on the inside. I'm reacting a bit. Now, I'm not saying that God causes evil or he's the author of any suffering you're going through here today. Hear me, all right? You know this many times, The Bible shows us that people suffer through no fault of their own, and that many times, if you're suffering today, it could be at the hands of the people who have wronged you through no fault of your own. I'm not saying God causes evil or suffering, and yet. Look at how he treats Jacob. Next week, Joseph, Job, Jonah, his own son, Jesus. What do we learn? Well, apparently we don't want to have a name that begins with the letter J, right? Oh, wait, sorry. I've got three sons I named with the letter J. Sorry, kids, you know. What's this showing us? This is showing us that the God of the Bible doesn't fit into any of the categories people think that God ought to be, do, and look like. This is showing us this God of the Bible isn't just like a a, a liberal God, nice liberal God, who sort of loves everyone, like, like Bette Midler says God loves us, you know, like from a distance. From a distance. He isn't a God who just lets everyone live like they want to because he's a God of bin stiller and meet the parents, right? He's just a good and accommodating God. No, God gets up close. He didn't love Jacob from a distance. He gets up close. He doesn't just accommodate Jacob. He doesn't bargain with Jacob's bad deeds. No, he breaks him. Can you handle a God like this in your life? But nor is he the God as this is showing us of conservative religion where God only, you know, meets and loves and helps the good people, the shiny, sparkly people who go to Sunday school, who have done it all right and who vote for the candidate that Jesus would vote for. (laughs) What does unrighteous Jacob get from God in the end? He gets a blessing, though he's done nothing to deserve it. Can we handle a God like this in other people's lives? And can we acknowledge that sometimes uh, the deepest life change we ever experience comes through the deepest pain and maybe even loss we experience. This has certainly been my story. My story. I came to to Christ, became a Christian at age 19 in college, and then all everything went wrong. My girlfriend and I broke up. Seems to be a pattern here today. Elder Galen, right? right. girlfriend and I broke up my friends they all abandoned me they all made fun of me I sat the bench as a college baseball player I sat the bench for the first time in my life teammates didn't understand why I couldn't explain why I thought uh, you know like we all think God you come into my life to help me right I'm here you're there you know me Aladdin you, Eugenie you know touch the bottle you come out when I like you're gonna help me and I thought wow now when I begin to experience all this if this is how you help the people you love I'm good I'm good but God was helping me far more than I could ever have imagined because what I couldn't see was that I was the issue. I was the problem. My dream fantasy idol of of playing baseball professionally would have ruined me if I would have gotten that. Oh, the worst thing that could have happened to me was to get the very thing I had wanted. And so God, oh, in that moment was coming to me. He was touching the strongest part of me, weakening me to fit me for his service to show me what I was made for. He tore my thigh to open my eye, right? And that's certainly been the story of this church as well. If you've been through the membership class, you know this, we tell you this. This church for many years, many years ago, even with a lot of the good stuff that happened here, if you were here, you know, we were the problem with other churches, with churches and churches in this city. We had here for years, power struggles. Oh, that never happens in churches, Abuse of members, serial divorce, marital unfaithfulness by top leaders, abuse of money, go on down the line, privileging a family at the expense of the church. God had to break us, whittle us down until we admitted who we were. He tore our thigh to open our eye, used our pain to change us. Now, all right, I am not saying we're perfect. We aren't even close. Not even close. We are not perfect. But we are changed. We are changed. We're changed. Changed, because we we wrestled, we wrestled God painfully, painfully acknowledged who we were. Who are you? What's your name? Your life will only change to the degree you can answer honestly, vulnerably, truthfully. Jacob's life here; he's changing before our eyes, right here, right now, wrestling with God personally presently painfully but there's one more thing Jacob does here that finishes the work God's doing number four finally Jacob wrestles God I love this paradoxically look at this it's so powerful look at this when Jacob finally admits who he is then the the wrestler the man says to him he says your name oh I shall no longer be Jacob but Israel for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed Oh, what's this? He's saying, Jacob, for years you have striven past tense with people. You've wrestled every person you've ever met. You've wrestled God for years. But now you have prevailed. you got to get the picture. What's this? Look at this. This wrestler, right? This mysterious stranger. He's looking at Jacob, at a man lying on the ground with a broken hip. You know, he's, I mean, he's squirming, right? I mean he's like a fish flopping on the ground. He's like a like a guy like some NBA player stands over, you know, when he dunks on him, posterizes him, right? I mean he's looking at Jacob down on the ground, broken hip. Jacob's clinging to him and he says, You've prevailed, you've won. No, Jacob didn't win anything. Jacob didn't defeat God. No, God defeated him right here. And yet this wrestler whom Jacob knows is God, because a moment later he tells us, he says, oh, I saw the face of God. The wrestler says to him on the ground, he says, hey, loser on the ground, you're the winner. You've prevailed. You've won. Broken man, you're healed. Unlovable, you're loved. Why? Why did he win? Why did Jacob win? Because he lost. Can you see the paradox here? Jacob went from wrestling against God to wrestling for God he quit wrestling to keep God away started wrestling to keep God near him he said oh I won't let you go until you bless me how many of us can have that same spirit of faith today when we say to God oh I'm not going to let you go didn't matter what I go through does not matter the ups didn't matter the downs Doesn't matter how you touch me the matter if my thigh comes out of socket the matter if I lose this gain this it all goes away I'm not going to let you go that's what it means to cling to God. Jacob only won when he lost. He prevailed when he quit resisting. And he started clinging like his life depended on it. Because it did. See, all his problems till now were a result of not having God at the center. Can you see? All his problems were a result of keeping God, oh, on the periphery, on the outside, at arm's length, coming around church, coming around community group, coming around a Bible study. But he never surrendered his heart and life and will to the one who made him, loved him, and It was for him but he does it right here and here. Oh, here's not only the beautiful paradox, but the loving irony of the story as well. All his life, what did Jacob want? What was he furiously pursuing? Come on. was the blessing. The blessing to be known and loved and cherished and seen. Yeah, his father had loved his older brother more. Had poisoned Jacob of the core. And Jacob risked everything. He lost everything. He threw away everything to try to get that blessing. And yet he got it from his dad. But when he got it, the words weren't for him. They weren't aimed at him. They were spoken over him. But they never changed him because they weren't for him. The power of it never sunk into him because he couldn't be real. He couldn't admit who he was. He had to dress up like his brother to get it. But now, oh, he what does he get when he finally acknowledges who he is before god he gets the blessing the blessing what he'd been after his whole life see he asks the stranger his name right because he's beginning to suspect it's god he knows this right because with the lightest touch after hours of wrestling the stranger's not fatigued he's like the man with a captain america i can do this all day right He's not fatigued. The light is touched. He, he dislocates Jacob's leg. And yet Jacob knows his life was spared. He said, I've seen God's face and lived, though I don't deserve it. And so that he said to him, what's your name, stranger? The stranger said, why is it you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob gets the blessing he always wanted. But it was greater than getting the blessing from his own father. Jacob got it from God himself. This shows you that underneath your search for blessing, it's a search for God underneath your search for love success all that is a search for god and you and i listen we wrestle for all these things we try to wrestle it out of people don't we we try to wrestle the love we want right out of that spouse right out of that child right out of that career we try to wrench it from the grip of life itself but the real blessing we seek is only found in the heart of god and you're going to have to surrender to get it what does this show us oh hear me not just a paradox This is a glimpse into the heart of spiritual reality itself. Jesus Christ, on his way to the cross, turns to his disciples, Matthew 16, I believe. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, what to get my blessing, he must deny himself. He must lose, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? To get that blessing, that career, that success. But forfeit his very soul. In church, didn't Jesus do this himself? Right? Didn't he take up his own cross? He did. And on the way and on the cross, he wrestled with the full weight of our identity, our true nature. All us liars, cheaters, thieves, and villains, Jacobs, Rachels, Esau's, Laban's, and Leah's. He wrestled in the dark. All night for us, all day for us. In one, and one. And won only by losing. He gave up his life in our place so that we could go free. He took the ultimate blow, which didn't just break him. No, it ended him. It ended him so that we could be given, like Jacob, a new name. Blessed, healed, loved, accepted. The father's son, the father's daughter. Jacob won. He prevailed when he lost, when he quit resisting God, admitted who he was, and started clinging to God, he got the blessing. And then guess what? It says this at the end. Now, now, the sun rose upon him. It can be the same for you today as well. Church, let's go to him now. Let's go to our Father in prayer, asking for help to do this. Oh, Father, we come to you today. Lord, don't we just acknowledge, first of all, That really you're the one we're wrestling. We're wrestling you. Our job, our marriage, children, friendships, church. We're wrestling you. Help us with this. We can't do it on our own. Lord, I'm praying for grace today for some of us to stop keeping things at arm's length. You want pulled near. Help us with that. It takes wisdom. It takes courage. It takes vulnerability. It takes other people sometimes. Help us. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I am working through a relational crisis or someone I've been keeping away, wrestling with, I know God wants to work through breakthrough somehow, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand this moment? Lord, I pray for these. Lord, I just pray for that moment in their journey like Jacob had with Esau, he would say, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. You bring reconciliation and healing. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to God, you just wrestled Him, kept Him away, looked like you were close but really weren't, you say, today's my day. Say who I am and cling to God. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for these. Lord, now in this moment, as they acknowledge who they are before you, truly and honestly, as they, like Jacob, repent. Turn their back on our old life. Receive you in your rightful place. Lord and God, that you change them right now, to be born again, supernaturally. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.